Friends beyond the binary, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, former, current, former, previous Jedi, and anyone formerly of Jeddah, anywhere, you know, or if your name is Jenna, or wherever, could be anything, uh, wherever you're from, however you got here. I'm glad you're here because I'm going to get mixed up and go off topic again soon because it's time for Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. Uh, Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever is keeping you awake, whether it's thoughts you're thinking about, you know, that might be on your mind from the past or the present or the future, or you're just thinking. It could be wandering thoughts. Maybe that's something I've never talked about. The old thought, thought wand, wandering thoughts and the thought wanderer. Uh, it could be feelings or emotions coming up related to the thoughts or that are just there or that are lay, layovers from the day or the, the distant past. All that comes up for me. Also, physical sensations uh, could be keeping you awake, or it could be other stuff. It could be changes in routine or time, temperature, stuff out of your control. It all, I mean, in some sense, you say, well, most of it's out of my control. Could be remote. What, what if it's like a remote control car? What if there was like a miniature remote control car? I mean, this would keep me up at night that, that somehow, like, uh, gained you know it could plug itself in when like it found like it's like it has a miniature Roomba dock uh, where it can recharge itself you don't know where the Roomba dock is so you can't unplug it I'm thinking like a micro machine and it only activates at night that would keep me up and you say was that that micro is that my imagination or is that a like a a semi-sentient micro machine micro machine Oh, that's another thing. Sorry, I'm I'm off topic early. But uh, so once upon a time, kids played with these cars. They were called die cast cars. And I have no idea when they're invented. Like uh, it could be anywhere from 1930 to 1970. And when I came around, the, the biggest brand, there was a couple of competitors, but the biggest brand was called Hot Wheels. And I had a few Hot Wheels. I think a couple of my younger siblings even had the Hot Wheels. They had play sets. As we've heard about, I was more into chillaxing figures and action figures than cars. Because, I mean, it led to the podcast. Otherwise, it had to be on, you know, Car Talk 2.0 or something. Uh, But so, at some point in the 80s, I think, somebody said, hmm, this, these Hot Wheels are really uh, hot stuff, man. They've been around. Scooter doesn't know when they, they've been around for decades, possibly. And we've got this is at one of those big, the big toy conglomerates. And they said, I need ideas. You know, the, the person with the, they said, see, you know, give me your best ideas to put the Hot Wheels out of business. Because no offense to the Hot Wheels competitors, usually the competitors to the Hot Wheels you would get at the drugstore, which in Syracuse was Phase, which it didn't just, it didn't, now there's a, 
it didn't just have pre- prescription stuff. Uh, it was a bit like a grocery store, which now they've become again. Like there's just two or three companies that, that run all those now. But you'd go there to get your low-grade low electronics and toys as well as other things. So they had the competitors to—they probably had Hot Wheels, but they're way overpriced. And I think like the hot, like the other toy—these are toy cars. Yes, I'm still talking about it. Uh, but so they had a meeting, this one toy conglomerate. I'm imagining this. Uh, this is not a history podcast. But they said, give me some ideas. And somebody in the back— uh, she said, uh, what if we make the car, what if we take the Hot Wheel cars, get rid of the metal and make them much, much smaller? And at first, probably this person was past, but like, wait, nah, more. And then we said, we said, go back. Uh, uh, you sounded like you had facts to back up your, right. well, this is the cost savings. This is the packaging savings. This is a unique uh, marketing idea. Also, there's this person we know who has a world record for talking fast. We could get them to do the commercials, and they take up less space. Because, so it's a very unique uh, USP, whatever, unique selling proposition, micro-machines. Uh, people love, haven't you seen any of those shows? So they have shrink rays. You know, that's one of the big themes on uh, sci-fi and adventure series. These kids would have their own shrink ray. They say, okay, let's do it. Also, what does this have to do with a sleep podcast, and how did you start talking about it? I have no idea. I think I was talking about something. I think I thought I was going to talk about something about I had another phrase that I was going to use, and then I don't know how I started. I think I was trying to make a point. Physical sensation, oh, changes in time or temperature, wandering thoughts. I think I just went into a wandering thought and got lost. But whatever's keeping you awake, uh, I'd like to, I have no idea. So I was talking about wandering thoughts that just come up. Uh, other things that could change your, oh, oh, a sentient micro machine, but that was a remote control. So I was trying to explain what a micro machine was. So that's what a micro machine is. In a remote control car, most people are familiar with that concept, but just in case, it's like a a car, a toy car, and you have a remote control and you can move it around and control it, varying degrees of uh, quality and control. This particular car is a fictional, you know, fictional invention, but it's very small, like the micro machines were. Also, somehow, like, it can recharge itself, and it doesn't have a controller. And, unfortunately, it's nocturnal, and it's hidden. I don't know why. These things just pop in my brain. and ha- But I, I was—I guess my point was that it could keep you awake at night if it just, like, uh, you see, is that thing living under my bed? And your, your partner or spouse would say, well, technically, it's not living. It's a sentient uh, toy. You see, don't bother me. Don't quibble with me right now. Uh, trying to go to sleep, and I got some sort of, uh, and I don't want to start wandering around and step on it uh, because then it'd be like stepping on a Lego. And uh, also, could this ever be a movie? Would is anybody from any of those big? You know, we could put this out in October twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. The sent miniature sentient car. I mean, we'll figure out another, you know, name for it, but that's for a sleep podcast. 
But whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, sentient micro machines or, uh, I mean, not even, it's not fully sentient. It's just, re, it's just found a way to power itself. Uh, now, there could be a whole narrative. Pixar, you know, you, you could find me too. We could have a whole narrative of what the car is doing at night. It's obviously searching for something. Probably has an emotional need as well. Toy St- Once you go, is there any Toy Story s- scheduled direct to streaming? Well, I guess direct to stream- streaming now is like a, it's a, well, we're putting that out in the movie theater. It's like two or five years from, I'm kidding. I love going to the movies, but like it used to be if you went direct to video, that was a downside. So if Pixar was going to put out a, a Toy Story direct to video, like Toy Story 12, the sentient micro, the little micro machine that did keep me up at night. Oh boy, that's an early tangent. New regular listeners, you're celebrating that. Uh, new listeners, you're probably confused, which is a natural way to get to this show. Or well, you you get confused once you start listening. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to keep you company while you fall asleep. I'm going to send my voice across the deep dark night. I'm going to use lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders, and superfluous tangents, which we just got through about eight minutes of them, all to keep you company while you drift off. That's the kind of, the, I can't pat in the mix of sleep with me, unfortunately, but that's what we do here is, uh, and it can be surprising. A few things, this is a podcast you don't really listen to. You just kind of passively consume it like another person in another situation, on another alternative world, or alternate dimension, another person, another adult, is living in a home with a sentient micro-machine. We're just using that word. I realize it's not a sentient micro-machine. But they find it uh, barely distracting, and they just listen to it uh, to, while it drives around, and they fall asleep to it. So that's another, so that's a re- refreshing thing to know. Oh, there's an alternative. And, and of course, the partner would say that. Dear, did you know there's an alternative universe where you find the remote control car driving around our home in the middle of the night comforting? Say, okay, go sleep in the guest room, please. Take your quibbling. So, oh, so this is a podcast you don't really listen to. Just kind of loosely consume it, just like that person in the alternative universe is just kind of barely paying attention. I don't know, a bit like a fan or something, or some other comforting sound that you've developed a comforting relationship with. Hopefully, you'll learn not to listen to me so much. You'll we'll have a comforting, like I can comfort you or keep you company. So that's the first part of the podcast that throws people off. It's like, wait a second, I don't really listen. You don't really tell me a story and put me to sleep. I say, well, no, I kind of... uh, keep talking about stuff and then i go off topic and you stop you barely listen to me well so i don't really put you to sleep i'm here to keep you company while you drift off that's why the episodes are over an hour because you could drift off at your leisure but there's also some reassurance there that if you can't sleep i'm going to be here for you my job is to keep you company whether you're listening or not and I don't know, like, if we could get an interview of that micro machine, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be hearing from them to say, oh, you think you hurt, you think you can laugh at the toy conglomerates now? And I'd say, well, does the most promote, no offense, but uh, I'm sure eBay say, I don't know, are you still in business? No offense, are you still in business? Because uh, I haven't heard it. I mean, 
out of an, nobody. I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be. That wasn't nice of me to say that, Mr. Micro Machine, Mr. Toy Baron. I'm sorry. I was just having a laugh at your expense because I just haven't heard anybody other than me. I'm just saying that uh, I, was, I was giving you some. I was doing some speculative micro machine fiction, I guess. And uh, other than you know, I'm sure there's a subgenre of erotica that's micro machine related. That's probably got a very strong niche community, and that's a beautiful thing too. But this is different, so. Oh, and also I'm trying to do a sleep podcast and I got a subgenred, uh, subgenred myself. So anyway, podcast you don't really listen to doesn't really put you to sleep. I'm just here for you. It does take some getting used to. It's a very common theme among our regular listeners. They say, give it two or three tries. That's how long it takes you for most people to get used to this podcast. And when I say get used to it, it means you just almost, you mostly stop listening to it or stop paying attention to it. So those are the first three things to know. But I'm here for you uh, to keep you company while you fall asleep. Also, the structure of the show can really throw people off. Show starts off with a greeting so you feel seen and welcome. Friends beyond the binary, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Then there's uh, some listener support and then show sponsors. That's how we keep the podcast coming out twice a week. Uh, so you can listen to it for no cost. Then there's uh, the intro. The intro is around 12. No, it's around 15 to 20 minutes, I guess. Sometimes it's, I don't know when it, the last time it was 12 minutes. Because the listeners, it serves a purpose. Uh, that's why it's kind of grown to the 15 to 22 minute range. And the purpose the intro serves is to give you some space between the daytime and the the nighttime. It's kind of like audio dusk. I think I've talked about that before. Just like the sun doesn't just drop out of the sky. I mean, how weird would that be? You say it's daytime, now it's nighttime. Nature doesn't work that way. I just I, It took me 950-something episodes to figure that out. But the podcast does follow nature in that way. Probably inspired by it, but I forgot about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the truth. The sun doesn't just drop out of the sky or pop up and say, yo, it's day, get up. I mean, sometimes it feels that way. But the sun eases across the sky and below the horizon and then eases back up. Uh, and Sleep With Me kind of does the same thing. It eases you into sleep and gives you some distance between your day life and your day concerns. And being asleep, because for most of us, we've dealt with other stuff, you know, all this stuff and all the advice that people give. And for me, none of it worked or it worked once. And what works is having a wind down routine. And hopefully for regular listeners, sleep with me is part of that. Uh, whether you're winding down in bed with your eyes closed, drifting off, or you're doing some other calming activity or you're getting ready for bed. Or you're listening during the day, or maybe you listen on your couch. Uh, maybe you listen on your couch or in your guest room. I mean, I'm just it's, it's saying different bedtime routine stuff I've tried, like reading in another room and then going and get in bed. So, I don't know. It, ideally, it's part of your wind down routine. Now, you could start the show 20 minutes. About now, at this point, 3% of listeners or so do that. A few thousand people listen to story-only episodes, uh, uh, so um, 
there's that option on Patreon. That's on Patreon. And then but everyone else, they kind of just slowly wind down. So that's the intro. Then there's some uh, sponsors. Again, that's how the show's free. And then there's our discussion of the Mandalor- Mandalorian. That's me on the show, or the program, the Mandalorian. And I'll run through an episode about a Jedi. And uh, then there's thank you. So this is the structure of the show. We kind of talked about the other stuff that could throw you off. Totally understandable if you're skeptical or doubtful, or you even dislike me or the show. I have a website, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash no thank you for people that definitely don't like the podcast. But give it a few tries because I'm just here to help. Uh, and the reason I make the show is twofold. One, I've been there in the deep, dark night, tossing, turning, mind racing, waking up too early, waking up in the middle. Uh, all of it. I've been there and I know how it feels. Uh, I know how it feels emotionally and I know how it feels physically and I know how it feels mentally. Not just in the deep dark night, but on the day after and the day after that. So if I can help any way I can, that bedtime dread to make bedtime something you feel neutral about, or, you know, ideally, sleep with me becomes part of a, a bedtime routine for you that you look forward to. Just like me, when I'm reading a good book, I really look forward to bedtime. And I say, can't wait to get in bed, pull up my weighted comforter and all that stuff and get in my sheets and uh, snuggle in. Or if I'm trying something, well, I'm going to read on the couch or the deck for a little while. Then I'm going to get in bed and just go to sleep. So Hopefully sleep with me becomes something, even if you don't look forward to it. I, I mean, I'm going for just pure, pure you say, well, I kind of feel ambiv- like I used to dread bedtime. Now I kind of feel, I'm not sure if Scoots is using this word the correct way, ambivalent. But I say NBD, man, no big deal. Uh, I got Scoots to talk, to bear, that I can barely listen to at bedtime. The other reason I make the show is because it's more important. That's you. You deserve a good night's sleep. You deserve a place you can rest. And I hope this podcast can provide that for you, or you find another sleep podcast or sleep audio solution, or maybe just create your own bedtime routine, and that works for you. Or you listen to the podcast, Sleep With Me. Like some people are having a tough time, they listen to Sleep With Me, and they get through it, and then they're sleeping sound. That's great. Graduating from the podcast. So whatever it is, I'm glad you're here. I really hope I can help, so give it a few tries. I work really hard. I yearn and I strive, and I really hope I can help you fall asleep. Thanks again for coming by. And here's a couple of ways I'm able to bring you this show for free twice a week. All right, everybody, Scoot's here, and uh, loading up the plus, as only I say here in this, uh, you know, it's <laughs> only Scoot's can say. Putting it on mute and loading the plus. Oh, boy, though. It picked up where I last left off. I don't like it when that happens, which was at the end of the episode. I want to get all the way to the beginning where it says D+. And then we have the previously on uh, The Mandalorian. This is the one. Wait a second. I got to get the. You know, there's a couple other issues I have with like uh, this is that I forget to put on the subtitles and then I forget to turn them off. And then on my TV, I get confused when I'm trying to watch The Mandalorian for pleasure, which is what I do on Friday. I just watch uh, 
like uh, in slow-mo, the Mandal- that scene where the Mandalorian was running over and over and over again. Uh, let's see. So we got D-plus previously on the Mandalorian. This is the one, yeah. Looks helpless. Uh, it's not helpless, by the way. This is the armorer and Mando. Move objects, eons ago, wizards, Mandalore, sorcerers, called Jedi. It's a foundling. It's in your care by Creed. Uh, especially when you're standing next to Apollo Creed. But uh, And then Mando says, I do like this. He goes, you want me to return this thing to an army of emer- enemy sorcerers? Search the galaxy? And she goes, it wouldn't be an armor, but this is the way, by the way. Quested with returning the child to the Jedi. Uh, this is when he's talking to the heiress. First, we need your help. Uh, checking out this uh, ship, doing some, you know, fist bumping. We see the Beskar in full action. Uh, landing. Where can I find the Jedi? Kaladin on the forest planet of Corvus. Uh, Ashoka Tano. Tell her you were sent by Bo-Katan, and thank you. Your bravery won't be forgotten. This is the way. And Mando jets off, goes to his babysitter. Uh, they don't show that part. Uh, then we have the Lucasfilm and the Disney stuff. Uh, clang, clang. Star, oh, planet, planet Ton. Smokes, oh, Palace, uh, palace type thing. Three smokestacks on the right. Cobblestones, very smoky. Uh, something on poles moving. Oh, lanterns on poles moving in the wind. Clang, clang. Uh, soldiers running. People hiding. Palace, castle walls. Uh, dead tree forest. Uh, White lightsabers times two. So we see a palace, uh, like a forest. It took me, now this is the kind of person I am, it only took me like four watches of this episode uh, to realize uh, why the planet or the area around this town is so bleak. And because this is, there's like this industrialist, uh, I think that, I mean, I'm still not positive because I don't like, um, those every once in a while I'll get clickbaited into reading something about the, the the Mandalorian episodes. For the most part, I try not to read anything or consume anything other than the episode. And I never like that's always been my policy, except for the final season of Game of Thrones. And so now I'm back on uh, whatever you call that media non-consumption. Um, just because. It, it, it like I don't know. I don't want to like I don't want to be like milk and go spoiling. You know, not be spoiled in a way to to be influenced or to be like have a sympathetic vibration with a writer or a podcaster. Also, it's better for me to have my veil of ignorance on. Uh, so anyway, the soldiers go out. There's some you know they're playing laser tag. And yeah, then we see two white lightsabers, uh, and I'm talking. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Sun, not so. If you, if like when you use one of those lamps, I have one for the winter season. Full, br- what do they call that? Full sun, full spectrum brightness or something. 
So she, the, uh, this is Ashoka Tano, cl- clearly. Also, I've seen a few episodes of the Clone War, Clone Wars. So, but Ashoka Tano is doing, like, this was awesome. Uh, and I feel like, the, the, like, I guess I haven't rewatched season one, but the, some of these action sequences in the, the past few episodes and then the two episodes I've seen after this, uh, They've just been, whoa, boy, hopefully it's a budget and, I mean, great, great work by everybody on the show. But I'd say keep bumping that budget up uh, because that's like, uh, if that's, you know, like, uh, I don't know, really well-coordinated sequences. And this is one of them. And she's using stealth and, the like, her her speed and probably some of her Jedi powers also probably she can influence the smoke a little bit. And and then the idea of brightness of the, the lightsabers, uh, and then turning them back off, uh, which, you know, because, uh, well, I don't know who, who the soldiers are like, uh, but if they have anything like human eyes, then you say, well, if I saw two bright white light lightsabers in a smoky area, I think this is what Ashoka Tano would Ashoka Tano would say if she was training someone. You don't have to use a Jedi power, uh, like uh, like to because they would their eyes would have to adjust, and I can just move out of the way. A bit like a flashlight. Um, uh, oh, nobody's following. That's good. Nobody's following them along. <laughs> Went on such a tangent. I lost even myself. Uh, Okay, smoke, mist, ramparts, watching, soldier, and a woman with a staff. Uh, off the scope. Uh, they want the lots of hide-and-seek. She says goodbye to tags everybody in this hide-and-seek game. Then the magistrate says, so the woman with the staff is a magistrate, uh, which I should figure out. Maybe I should circle that and learn what that word means. Uh, but she says, show yourself. And uh, cool is like a, like a sea cucumber. Ashoka Tano comes out with her uh, sabers. And uh, they kind of do a stare down. She spreads her arms and says, I've been expecting you, the magistrate says. And then Ashoka says, you know what I'm looking for then. And she says, you'll learn nothing. And uh, can I call her Tano or Ashoka? Uh, she says, you're going to learn nothing. And this magistrate is much more of like an authoritarian type figure because she says, well, the people I'm ruling over, they're meaningless to me. So you just say, check this pollution out uh, by the, by example. Means nothing to me. Uh, and I'm just going to make things worse for them. And she goes, well, it's already pretty bad. Like, uh, surrender or face the consequences. Like, I don't bargain with magistrates. Um, And she goes, you have one day to decide. She points at her with one of her lightsabers. And some really good acting, uh, just just facially and close-ups. Then there's this hired soldier type. He says, yeah, we'll be ready. Yeah. When she comes back, and uh, there's a couple droids, 
What else we got? One ten, one hundred robots and something. Prisoner, citizens mean nothing. Surrender. Uh, face consequences. Uh, so there will be. Be ready. Uh, oh, the soldier dude has a high neck scar, a high neck something, and a scarf. And then we see Chapter Thirteen: The Jedi. He's got like, uh, yeah, it's a. I don't know. Then uh, Oso and Poppy have a convo. Is that what it says? Oso and Poppy convos beacon. Let me see. There's some heavy cuteness in this this season. So Oso's up front uh, watching. They see the planet. This is the place, Corvus. Uh, detected a beacon. Oso says, cool, man. Uh, you're going to start the landing cycle. Oh, get back in your seats. Goes, no thanks, and then he hops down. Does he have to tell him twice? Oh, Oso's checking out the the ball. Oh, he says, "Yeah, quit looking at the shiny stuff and get in your seat, man." Before consequences, don't make me do it because I don't thus far. And, you know, this is my first parenting role. Oso climbs up, climbs up on Oso's seat, uh, and then he force moves the ball. Which I thought he'd, I mean, I don't, I, I got to take Oso's side on this because, uh, you would have thought he, Mandalorian would have learned, uh, uh, because, uh, I thought he gave it to him last season. But you know how particular Mando can be about rules. And he probably says, well, when I first learned to fly the Razor Crest, it had this knob here, and I haven't been to a knob shop, uh, so it has to go back on there. He, I mean, he is like, uh, he's not a fundamental, but he does take some things literally. But he's going to, he's slowly unlearning that. Uh, okay, get back in your seat. Oso wants the ball back in your seat. Oso climbs up. Uh, poop. Oh, oh, also, I mean, this is just a fact. Uh, when Oso's concentrating, sometimes he does the kid's concentration pooping face, uh, and that's one of those moments. I don't have a timestamp because it's already passed. Because as usual, in a good way, I'm going slower than the episode. But he force moves the ball. We see more lava. Mando goes in on ra- oh, radar. Oh, those radar detectors. I was wondering what those radar detectors were. They've, you've seen them in all the movies occasionally. When something flies over, they scan it. Maybe it's checking the ship's tags. Is that what they call them? The tags, right? So then we see some like dinosaur-type uh, lumbering creatures eating trees. Mando and Oso. Great sound effects and music, of course. It does. I mean, it needs saying just because it needs saying, but it doesn't need saying. Uh, Mando goes down, Oso sits down on the rope uh, or the ramp and starts playing with the ball, just like a kid. I mean, wow, this is r- such good writing. And uh, I didn't even think about it. Like, just like he is, you know, I know we're going to go for a walk, but I'd rather sit here and play with this new ball. I, I keep thinking about it. It was in my robe. Can't stop thinking about it. I got to sit down and play with it. I mean, I think that may have taken that from one of my many non-published in autobiographies. Uh, and he sits, he says, what are you doing with that? Uh, never had dealings with a Jedi before. Uh, yeah, there's the, the dialogue, the, the level of the, I mean, 
the Mandalorian, the broad strokes of the Mandalorian are revealed through conflict. Uh, I mean, in action, you know, in the episodes. And then the, like, kind of, uh, um, I don't know, the Mandalorian's relationship with Oso is kind of like this emotional connection we have, you know, but his, what I connect with most is his mutterings, uh, in his inane, I love his inane conversation, which it's not even expository. It's just sweet. Like, uh, I don't know. I think it has some examples, but he says, like, hey, never had dealings with Jedi before. Let's head into town. See what I can pick up. Here it is. Uh, yeah, wonder what to expect. Uh, so he walks towards town. I don't know. There's some other ones I wrote down at some point. Then they see him from the ramparts coming. They, the soldier comes. He, he's a face, you know, face character. So Mando says, yo, and he goes, what's your business? Mando says, I'm, I'm, that's all business. I'm looking for a layover. The dude says, nice armor. Is that a baby Bjorn? And he goes, and then he goes, yeah, I'm hunting for something. And the guy goes, are you in the guild? Amanda goes, last time I checked. And uh, last time he checked, I think he was back in the guild. Well, he didn't check, but uh, Grief Cargus said he was back in it last season. But they say open the gates uh, because obviously we're going to. This is our lucky day. I mean, that's what that soldier's thinking. No longer is it going to be my rear end against this Jedi. When this guy with his fancy armor, we can send him out. He has fancy pants. Like he did, like if you consider armored pants fancy. I mean, if you consider armored pants uh, pants uh, plate armor, because technically you probably couldn't say they're by pants. Then he goes through the town. And uh, it's kind of like a palace town. There's like, uh, it's it's not looking great. There's a lot of uh, military occupa- occupation. It looks very po- 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 poverty-stricken. People are nervous. They don't want to talk to Mando. He goes, of course, to talk. This uh, gentleman is helping two kids, and Mando rolls up. He's got Oso in the bag, though. He says, you there need some information. Parents went away on a week's, week's vacation looking for somebody. And the gentleman that's helping the kids says, uh, please, don't talk to us. Uh, don't you know? And then there's two guards roll up and they say the magistrate wants to see you. And Mando kind of looks at them. I guess they have masks on probably because of pollution, but the magistrate doesn't or the face dude. The hired mercenary, that's the term. Uh, and they kind of glare at the gentleman who was helping the kids. They parade Mando to the inner palace walls, or what I'm calling that. Uh, and we see some of the um, town's residents are on display. And uh, kind of in like one of those, uh, again, and I guess they really, they, they really love the TV show Survivor on some of these outer worlds. Because on TV, so there's a TV show Survivor. I didn't see, you know, but there's a lot of famous people like uh, that like Survivor. So this is like one, I wonder if they could get Ozzy in one of these episodes or Rob from, I mean, Robin Wiggler would be the first two people I'd say, well, that'd be a nice paycheck for them to be in an episode of Mandalorian. 
But uh, so there's it's like one where you have to stand up the whole time on a thin um, platform. And uh, so magistrate, I guess, like for rewards or something, makes townspeople. It's unpleasant. Uh, I don't know if I like, uh, like, uh, I don't know what made me think of Ozzy. I think one time Ozzy won and he did a backflip off of the stand because usually it's above water. And that's all you got to do. They've changed it, though, to where you have to stand on a pole now. Maybe that's always been the way. This is the way of Survivor on Star Wars. So it's just like that, but like a little bit more steampunky. And they say, this, this, is, this is not fun. Offer us a reward. And Mando says, I'm, I don't know what you're like. Mando doesn't say anything. He rolls in. They open the doors uh, to the inner palace. He goes in. Let's see, everyone else. Oh, spur sound effects. Holy moly. Now, I didn't track this because I'm not, I mean, what I'm not even a, I, 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 I like passively, in a, in a positive passive way, love Foley artists and uh, sound effects artists. And I greatly, you know, they, 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 they like, so there's like this Spurs sound. It goes through the whole series. Uh, and, I mean, I think it's just something jingling on the Mandalorian's, you know, one of his many, you know, thingamajigs, you know, straps or, you know, units or whatever, you know, things uh, to like, uh, it's uh, accoutrement. Can you imagine if I said, what, like, that would be good to say, well, is that like, that's I like your accoutrement. He, I don't even think he would, he would say, I'm sorry, uh, I've never met with a Jedi, like, uh, do you have a point? And I'd say, well, uh, do you, what about this? Shine your accoutrement, Mandal, like Man, Mandal, Mandalore, resident of former, possible resident of Mandalore. And he'd, he'd say, listen, kid, you, you don't look like you actually have the attention to detail to shine Beskar armor. And I'd say... Well, got me there. I said, well, there's, I used to clean my, help my dad wax his car. So, uh, you'll have the best looking, best car. I wonder if wax wouldn't be good though for it because then the dust would just stick to it. But I could, you know, it's a job I'm willing to apply for. Okay. So he goes in, uh, looking for a layover. Pardon me. Oh, this is all I'm behind on my notes because uh, so many tangents. Uh, so he goes into the inner palace walls, or the I mean, that's yeah. And there's like a fish ponds, and the magistrate is uh, she's feeding the fish uh, in a meditative way, and there's a little bit of a garden, very peaceful. Uh, she goes, "You Mandalorian?" He goes, "You, yep." I'm the Mandalorian. She goes, I got a proposition. And he goes, my price is high. And that's, you know, not even what. And she kind of walks. She's, she's really moves in the, like, uh, she goes, well, the target's priceless. Jedi plagues me. And why, you know, deal with it. Uh, he goes, well, that's difficult. And she goes, you're well suited for it. Pardon the pun. And the Jedi are an enemy of Mandalore. And Mandalorian goes, well, my price is high. And then she reaches back, and this droid comes and hands her a staff. Uh, 
or yeah, what is it called? Yeah, staff. And she goes, what do you make of this? And he goes, well, I don't know. Could I ban it? <laughs> it would be like the movie Airplane. I could make a bow. I could make a smiley face. Uh, I could make it, you know, I could make it, I could make it like a, a, a dancing pole. Uh, but he goes, well, it's real, well, he does, this is all communicated without words. He does some, his well-balanced, uh, very straight, uh, he goes against his Beskar, makes a certain sound that confirms that it's Beskar. She goes, pure Beskar, by the way, like your armor. And she goes, to deal with the Jedi, you can keep it. Oso peeks out at her, you know, not sure about any of this. He hands it back to her and he goes, where did you find, where do I find this Jedi? And she's got this pride, proud look on her face, satisfaction. Mando gets walked out the gates by the mercenary type guy and some soldiers. Apparently his name's Lang, which is interesting because we have Creed and Lang. Clubber Lang or something, I think that was... Uh... But anyway, the, they, the guy goes, what's with that green thing? And Mandalorian goes, I keep it for around for luck. Uh, the guy just stares at him, uh, and he goes, you're going to need it, uh, where you're headed. May, he stares at Oso, too. Uh, a Mandalorian walks off. Uh, the dude watches him walk off. Uh, great set. I mean, great setting. Holy cow. Walks off into the dust storm or the smoke, like smoke and mist. Stares at Mando. Keep it for luck. You're going to need it. Mando heads off. Door closes. Hills, smoke, burnt forest. Weak light. Keep your eyes open, kid. Must be close. This is some, uh, there's some good forest sounds. He gets his tail spun false. Uh, telespun. I don't know what that is. Let's find out. He gets his telespun. False alarm, surprise Jedi. So he ducks under, he's like going up a gully, ducks under a log. Keep your, this is when he says we must be close. Uh, really looks like it was in, like, it still is a beautiful forest. Uh, just, you know, like, uh, you, you say, well, probably not for the trees. The trees would not say it's beautiful because, uh, but he hears some rustling, but it's like one of the dinosaurs, uh, or the dinosaur, correct, with dinosaur-like figures. He sets Oso on a rock. Oh, he uses his uh, telescope. That's what I said, telescope. I, it looks like telesapan in my handwriting. It's a little T-E-L-E-S-A-P-A-N. Then Ashoka Tano shows up. They have a little dance-off. Uh, uh, they're, she's, she's very, uh, uh, she got like some magnet things for holding her, uh, on her back for holding her lightsabers, which is cool. I would say they're fairly evenly matched, but in the end, I think Atana uh, would have Mandalorian. Um, just because I think she's slightly more mobile, like on her own, where he has his jetpack. I don't think he's, he's not wearing it right now. One. But anyway, flip, uh, fire, rope, nope, Mando, Ashokatano, Bo Katan sent me. And then. She goes, I hope it's about this one. Uh, then there's some beautiful string music, and then we see it's night. Uh, 
Oh, no, she she looks, oh, so sits up. Uh, then it's moon and night. Uh, Tano and Oso sit uh, by a lantern. I mean, there's some mind-blowing stuff coming up here. Uh, this is why you don't. This is why I don't read about stuff ahead of time. And it reacted in much the way Mandal. I'm still getting used to it, just like the Mandalorian is. Uh, but you just like Scoots. Mandalorian paces around. I pace probably like thousands of steps a day. If I have a phone call and I'm not walking the dog, I'm pacing. Uh, unless it's a zoom and I have to sit down because it's it's like an on-camera zoom. Uh, let's see, warming, Mando pauses, uh, also makes purring noises, I don't know what that word is, and tweets, uh, he did tweets with Scooter, man. There's this giant moon, oh yeah, he does tweet and coo, they say coo. She picks him up, uh, Big smiles, picks him up. She turns, uh, picks up the lantern, walks back to Mando, and they sit. There's some music. I don't know if this is a new theme, but I did put, is this a new piece of music? Is he speaking? Do you understand him? And she says, in a way. She, like, this is excellent, uh, for me at least. I mean, I like, uh, of how a Jedi would behave uh, a little bit, not to the extreme of, like, a Yoda. But uh, answering in a riddly like way, in ways that aren't exactly riddles. Uh, I don't know, but she and she also captures a sense of a kind of amusement. Uh, she says, "He says, yeah. Do you understand him?" Uh, she puts her hands back under her cloak, even in a way. Go, Grogu and I can feel each other's thoughts, uh, and that's when I said, "I said Grogu," and Mandalorian says, "Grogu." But uh, it's just so good because then Oso looks at him, or Grogu. She goes, yeah. And uh, Mandalorian, in character, she goes, that's his name. Mandalorian goes, Oso looks away, or Grogu, and he says, uh, Grogu. And he turns back and makes a sound. And she goes, yeah, he was from the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Uh, many masters trained him. So then this is another level, at least for me, of mind-blowing exposition. Because it's like, okay, so he is, I mean, we knew, I knew that Yoda was like really old, like way more than, like whale, you know, he's got like a whale's lifespan or something. Or like a sequoia or something like you. I don't know if Yoda was like 500, 900 years or even 300. And I don't know anything about Yodish beings uh, development cycle. But according to her, yeah, he was trained by many masters at the end of the Clone Wars. You know, Annie Skywalker went went bonkers. And uh, he doesn't he doesn't know he was hidden. Don't know by whom or whom, she says, uh, someone took him. And that's it. That's the last thing he remembers. Uh, and then I said, wait a second, when did Mandalorian? I said, oh, yeah, wait, he was in that town, that western town with dead-end walls. Uh, East Town Boys and West Town Girls. But she says, yeah, he was all alone. Only knew one other being like that, name a Yoda. He was Jedi Master. Got a lot. Of, she smiles. Uh, they get along. 
She goes, can you wield the force? And this, oh, yeah, this is a great dialogue. You mean his powers, Mando says. Uh, and she goes, well, it's the force that gives him the powers. It's energy created by living things. Uh, and uh, it takes a great deal of training and discipline to wield it. Oso starts dozing off and Mandalorian says, I've seen him th- do things he can't explain. My task is to bring him to a Jedi. And she kind of looks, she thinks, this awful look, well, there's no more Jedi Order. And he goes, yeah, there's no more Empire, but they're still looking for him. So he needs your help. Uh, and this, oh, oh, wow, that's actually a pop- popular in a powerful Star Wars point, like the call, someone needs your help, but do you answer the call? You know, I mean, that's how it all started. So, Oso thinks, she thinks on it, uh, and she even sighs. Grogu's making some cute sounds, and she goes, Well, let him sleep. I guess he's talking in his sleep, and well, I'll give him a test in the morning. Uh, Mo- Moss, okay, so that's morning. Mossy area, weak sun. She grabs a rock. Mando uh, places Grogu down. She Jedi forces the the, uh, the rock in slow mo to Grogu, and uh, she says, "Return the sh- uh, uh, the the stone to me." And we see the parental instincts of the Mandalorian, even though he doesn't give consequences, you know, he is loving and uh, nurturing. He says, uh, he doesn't understand you. And, uh, uh, let's see what else happens. He's holding the stone right now, looks at her. He doesn't understand. And she says, he does. Uh, Grogu says, eh, she goes, it's okay. And he looks at her again. She goes, the stone, Grogu. And he goes, kid, throw her the stone or something. Uh, and he drops it. Uh, and she says, huh, interesting. This is a, a, a revolt. It's not a revolting development, but I almost said that. Uh, she looks at Oso, holds his hand. Uh, again, a lot of this is just done. In, uh, and she goes, okay, wait, I sense some fear in you. Oso says, yeah. And then she gives another thoughtful look, stands back up, uh, walks off. She goes, he's got it. He's had to hide out, you know, he did to get through all this, uh, lay low, try something else. You get over here. And he goes, get over there, kid. And she goes, no, no, uh, you. He goes, yeah, he's stubborn, man. She goes, you think he'll listen to you? And Oso looks at him, man, and goes, that'll be a first. Uh, and I love that line, though. I don't know why. There's a couple ones when she like says, "Oh, I hope it's about this one over here," and then she goes, "I like first. Uh, no, no, it just had this really good, uh, really good touch to it. Uh, so she hands, she goes, "Yes, yeah, see if he'll take the stone from you. Tell him to lift it up." Uh, and then we get like the baseball kid and father moment or whatever sports moment, but it's really well done. He says, "Come on, kid." Uh, uh, like, uh, come on, do it. Uh, take the rock. Uh, you could do it. And he goes, yeah, you see, you see? And he goes, nah, I told you, he's stubborn. And she goes, try to connect with him. And so then they, 
you know, they, they can't make exact eye contact. Mando takes a breath, pulls out the old, uh, the metal ball that he, you know, confiscated from him. And Osi says, you want this, Grogu? Scoots, quit calling him Oso. I say, well, I don't know if I'm going to possibly be able to do that, but I'll try. And he says, come on, you could do it. And then Oso does it, uh, take the ball. And Mando, like, uh, for Mando, this is probably one of his most emotionally expressive moments. Uh, he da- almost dances around. And he goes, yeah, baby, number one, good job, kid. Did you see that? Uh, that's right. Uh, I knew you could do it. But it's also a very important emotionally moment. Uh, and then she says, well, he's got an emotional attachment to you. Can't train him. He goes, what do you mean? And he goes, you've seen what he can do. And she goes, yeah, but he, he's attached to you. That makes him vulnerable. He's got a temper. He goes, that's why you train him. She goes, no, no, no. I had dealt with somebody who had temper, you know, temper with temper tantrums. Uh, and he was the best. And she goes, I can't start him down that path. Uh, too, too tough. Uh, better let his abilities fade away. And she goes, by the way, I got to get back to this village. Too, too much time. And Mandalorian says, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to catch you for them anyway. She thinks it out. He goes, well, I didn't agree to anything. Uh, he goes, I'll help you if you help uh, train Grogu. And then she looks at Grogu. He looks at her. She looks back at the Mandalorian. And then they do a, what, a screen wipe. Uh, and then they're walking back. It says A335, HK87, uh, droids, uh, ex-military, uh, Merc. Uh, uh, don't understand, uh, uh, let's see, what is he, this is, I think, the part that I had to pay more attention for, uh, you can see, you wouldn't be able to do it on your own, but, uh, together, I think that, let's see, ex-military, yeah, combined, not even your laser swords would be able to protect you from all the firepower. She smiles, uh, she goes, true enough, uh, don't underestimate the magistrate, uh, Mando goes, who is she? She's giving Beskar uh, to deal with you. And Tano, she crosses her arms. She says, Morgan Elsbeth. Uh, she had a tough time during the Clone Wars, but her anger fueled an industry that helped build the Imperial Starfleet. She plundered worlds. She's in the middle of plundering, them, plundering this world right now. Yeah, Mando says that, yeah, still in business, even though it went over Scoots' head. That's what the smokestacks and the trees are. And then she goes, is there any sort of strange, like, TV show, reality TV show competitions going on on the show? And he she, he goes, yeah. Uh, and uh, she, he goes, at least a few of them, plus the rest of the people in the town are seriously on edge, uh, even for me, and I'm always on edge. And she he goes, we can free them. She goes, Mandalorian and the Jedi? They'll never see you coming. I don't know who said that, actually. Oh, I also liked her wrist gauntlets. Free visages, Mandalorian and Jedi, they'll never see it coming. So then it's night, we're at the gate, there's great music, lights, smokestacks, guards, uh, light buttons on the eats, uh, walking. I don't know what that means. 
Is it, is it her? Send the alarm. It's her. Send the alarm. Uh, and she jumps up on the ramparts and rings the bell. Uh, after it gets rung a few times, uh, and she totally rolls up on them. I don't know why. I mean, the, whoever that soldier was, uh, the, the Merc, he should have been, he's not doing a great job. She does a great job of, uh, dealing with all the, and she cuts the bell in half. Bell drops once and then twice, uh, or technically four times because it's two pieces. Uh, then there's kind of on the main street, like in a Western style showdown, uh, with, uh, the Merc, the droids, the magistrate comes out, uh, there's wind, just enough wind and dust uh, to make it dramatic. There's the com- competitors and those challenger still competing. And then there's a long street, uh, tunnel at one end, magistrate at the other. Uh, winds blowing cloaks and the lanterns, everything. Stare down, back and forth. Tano starts to slowly walk down the streets. Uh, no dialogue. It's just a pure, oh man, showing and not telling nothing. I mean, but telling you everything. She slow walks. We see the one gentleman that was helping the kids uh, hiding out. You're kind of like, oh boy, this is trouble. And she gets within like probably 20 feet of everybody, pauses, breathes in, uh, magistrate breathes in. She throws down the Beskar, one of the, the uh, shoulder pieces of the bounty hunter. He failed uh, the Mandalorian. Tell me what I want to know. Maybe this was her first attempt to say, well, maybe she'll just give up now and tell her what she wants to know. But she, the magistrate says, nope, deal with it. Uh, and Tano uses, like, Jedi jump to get, jump out of the way. Her force jump uh, jumps on a roof. They pursue her. And there's, like a, like, a great action sequence of her in the uh, alleys of the town. And them trying to catch her. Magistrate goes back into the office. She says, "Don't no rewards for this challenge." Uh, uh, she goes, "By the way, just give them all." Uh, and the Mando shows up, saves the challengers uh, with uh, the gentleman. Uh, they nod to each other and says, "Hey, let's set, the, let's end this challenge, and everybody gets a reward." And they say, sure enough. Then we have a back and forth of them trying to track Tano. Here's the thing. Don't try to track a Jedi. Not a good idea. Not going to work. But they don't realize that. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily have a choice. So they're trying to find her. She keeps popping in and out and, you know, pulling tricks on her. And them. Uh, at some point, the HK, the droids uh, got sent off by the, the Merc guy. He's trying to find her. But, yeah, I mean, like, uh, she totally gets the lead on everybody. He starts again to get a little nervous. Oh, uh, there's the droids. They're waiting. They're talking to one another in some sort of robot talk. Droid talk, excuse me. Uh, the Merc sees everybody's been uh, uh, tagged out by the um, 
by the Jedi. And he sees her again. And uh, she actually disarms him. Uh, deals with one of the droids. Uh, turns it off. Deactivates it in half. The other droid, he says, get up on the roof. He grabs, he re-grabs his uh, thingamajig. And meanwhile, Mandalorian gets everybody free from the survivor game because they didn't have a reward, so it wasn't fair. Then we have another Western showdown, but this one is definitely straight out of a Western. Mando and the Merc, they look at each other. For a second, Tano's on the ramparts uh, watching in the wind, and then she drops down into the inner palace. Then we have a, so he goes, you so you're working with the Jedi. Mandalorian says, yep, apparently I am. Uh, uh, then Tano goes in with the, the um, uh, what do you call it? And this was a little bit like a, a little bit Tarantino-esque from one of like a, like a movie uh, with uh, like something not friend, not friends with Bill. Uh, uh, so. But this was one of the scenes that a little bit reminded me of that. That took place in the snow. But they have a kind of face-off. They nod to one another. Uh, they both rip their cloaks off in very dramatic fashion. Different ways. Because uh, uh, the magistrate had a cloak with arms. And they get ready to go back and forth. Uh, and it's a slow build, but very determined look on the magistrate's face. See, yeah, I can plunder worlds and use his staff at the same time. Uh, and it, watching it in mute, it's even more uh, cinema, cinematic. Holy cow. And gorgeous, just gorgeous. Uh, so they go back and forth. Uh, you can see the Beskar, and I'm sure it's like also a tiny bit of exposition. Oh, Beskar and uh, lightsabers. Lightsabers can't penetrate Beskar. They can probably get between where the Beskar is. That's all I tell the Mandalorian. But So for the lead up. Then we have a Mando back with the Merc. Mando says, uh, yo, and the Clubber Lang says, who do you think's going to win? Could be your side, could be my side. He's still walking towards the Mandalorian, slow walking, which is like, the Mandalorian's like, dude, I wrote the book on all this, so stop moving, please. You just hold it right there, I think he says. He even raises his hand. And Mando's ready. I mean, what he doesn't know is the other droids kind of sneaking around. Uh, Tano and the magistrate are going back and forth. It's pretty good, pretty good, pretty, pretty evenly matched for a while. And there's also when, uh, Club Lang and, uh, and Mando go back and forth, you can hear it in the background. He says, yeah, far enough. Uh, let's see. Tano loses one of her lightsabers into the, the pond. And then Lang says, you and I were a lot alike. Uh, you know, willing to do it for the right cause. Uh, and Mandalorian just doesn't say anything. And the guy says, well, this is probably not the right cause. So I'm going to lay this down and leave, walk away. And as he says that, like, uh, Tano finally, like, disarms the, uh, 
the magistrate uh, with a set of uh, defensive moves, actually. And he says, okay, well, I'm going to walk off. Uh, you win. Clubber Lang says that. Uh, though he's not Clubber Lang, because uh, that was Mr. T played Clubber Lang. My brain slowly recovered. Took my brain what twenty minutes to re, re, like uh, access that part of it, but the dude's really faking Mando out. But he's still Mando's like, dude, are you kidding me? Tries to get the drop on Mando. Mando takes him out. The gentleman comes out, and he says, "Hey, look out behind you. There's droid." Mando says, "Thank you." Droid disposed of, and that's the end of that. Uh, so Mando says, "Cool now." Uh, Ashoka Tano says, where's your master to the magistrate, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. So a little bit, I know very little about Grand Admiral Thrawn other than in like before the prequels. So this is in the nineties, uh, Timothy Zahn, I think wrote three movies that came after the original three Star Wars movies, uh, wrote three books. And I'm pretty sure I read all of them, or maybe in Grand Admiral Thrawn was a a pretty big uh, character in that. But I don't really remember. I haven't reread those books or anything. And now they wouldn't be so much a part of whatever you call canon because the movie, or maybe not, maybe because those movies were like Luke was involved. I don't know. But so, uh, I don't know if they are canon or not, to be honest. I don't know enough about Star Wars, but... uh, so Grand Admiral Thrawn's in those books. I guess that was my only point. So she says, where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? And I think she says, I don't know. What does she say? Because uh, where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? And, oh, it just ends uh, without us finding out. Then they walk out of the palace together. Next day, everybody's cheering. And uh, citizens, we see that the gentleman was actually like the leader of the town. So he gets reinstated as the leader of the town. Tano says, this is your payment, uh, the staff to the Mandalorian. He says, I can't accept. I didn't do the job. Uh, And she goes, no, but uh, it belongs with the Mandalorian. And he slowly takes it. they hold it together for a second. Uh, he looks it up and down. And she goes, where's your little friend? He goes, back on the spaceship alone, like where I always leave him. Hopefully he's not putting anything in his mouth. I'll go get him. It's going to be tough saying goodbye. And he walks off. She thinks for a while and watches him walk off. Uh Really, some great thoughtful moments. So the gentleman who is now the leader of the town, he's got his cloak back on. He comes out. She has gives him a look and, and says, yeah, let's get back to this party. And he nods and says, kind of thank you with his eyes. Mando gets back to the ship, takes off his jetpack, puts it, you know, hooks it back up where it goes. Sees Oso sleeping oh so cutely. Uh, and I said, is, are you also, is, is Grogu faking being asleep? Like, you know, when you, you know, someone's comes in and you pretend you're asleep just to see what they'll do. And he says, wake up, man. It's time to say goodbye. Grogu says, what? Uh, no, I'm still asleep. Uh, just let me sleep, Papa. 
and he's kind of rocking him side to side. Then he's holding him, getting him dressed, I think. Uh, and uh, the, the ship's open. We see that exterior shot. And then he's getting him really dressed. He says, okay, let's get this diaper changed, whole nine yards. Uh, Grogu's like, oh, what's going on? Uh, Mando goes out. She goes, you're like, uh, Tano's shows up. She says, you're like a father to him. And she goes, I can't train him. Simple as that. Uh, the wind's blowing. He goes, but you had a promise. I kept my end of the promise. Uh, she goes, yeah, you got me. Um, let me think. Uh, she holds his hand. She goes, there's one possibility. Take him to Tython. Uh, you're going to find the ruins of a temple there. Strong connection to the forest. There's a seeing stone there. Set him down on the seeing stone. It's on top of a mountain. And uh, Grogu will choose his path. Uh, if he reaches out through the forest, uh, there's a chance a Jedi might come searching for him. And Mandos thinks about it. And she goes, then again, there aren't many Jedi left. She crosses her arms. Uh, oh, oh, so, so, hmm. And Mandalorian says, thanks a lot. She goes, may the force be with you. And uh, Mando turns around. She's really, really, uh, she watches him. Another thoughtful look. Grogu's looking back at her. She smiles, nods her head. She says, he is oh so cute. Uh, so I could see why you'd call him that. Uh, she nods again and grins, backwards walks as the ramp goes up and they take off. And, uh, yeah, they, they get ready to take off, or they, they do take off. She's watching still and thinking. And then she turns again, looks again. And she walks off into the, back towards the palace uh, through the trees. There's one more scene. That's what I'm buying time. I think there's one. Oh, no, that was the end of the episode. Oh, wow. thought there was one more scene, but uh, I guess that's the next episode. Or was it? Oh, that was the end, at the end of the last one, huh? Okay, so then we have the plates, like the kind of concept art. But Grogu's getting the last of Matano. It's plate one. Mando at the gate of the palace is gate uh, plate two. I call it plates because that was like always a word I've always wanted to use from that. Di like I had a big dinosaur book as a kid and it called all the paintings plates. So that's why somebody might say, why are you saying plates, Scoots? Uh, then there's Mando and the Magistrate is number three. Uh, Mando and Jedi going into town. Yeah, Mando's in the garden. That's three. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and then Mando and Tano into town. There's four. Uh, then it's kind of in more of a dojo with the magistrate versus Tano. Uh, that's five. Then six is a Razor Crest landing or taking off. Uh, then, uh, seven is Oso and Tano kind of talking at night, uh, then uh, Tano versus a soldier is number eight. Uh, 
50 pollen and flowers, 9 eyes closed. Oh, yeah, Oso and po- falling pollen and flowers or smoke uh, is 9. And then Mando and Oso walking off into the sunset is 10. Classic. Uh, and that's the end of it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, good night. Hey, everybody, this is Wendy Marstrap. That's Wendy. Even though I, I get a e- Scooter says he gets a lot of emails saying Wendy, because I guess some of you pronounce it Wendy. Wendy. Scooter says Wendy. But I'm Wendy Marstrap. I say, well, you could call me the Winster, uh, but I no one does because I'm Wendy. They, they say, there's Wendy Marstrap and his Dewey Duba, his Dubak Dewey. So my name's Wendy Marstrap. I am a resident, a resident of the world of Star Wars, what you would call Star Wars. I just call it home. Matter of fact, I don't even call it home. I'm unaware. I live I, until I met Scooter, and luckily Scooter said that uh, and this blew my mind. I don't even understand it. I'm run, I'm I'm controlled by some sort of megacorp, where it was different. He said, "Thank goodness," because. Uh, he said, like, if it wasn't for how bad the Jets were doing, George R. R. Martin would be for something else. He said, it's different removing a character from his world. But don't worry, Scooter has lots of resources from for me. And actually, I live in my world. Scooter just takes me out to record these shows for all of you. And he told me it's all fiction. Uh, so even what I'm saying now, I'm just acting, I think. I don't know. Also, you know, did I tell you I'm here with my Dewey, my Dewback Dewey? That's my my best friend and my pet Dewey. But what I really love is telling you about the Star Wars world and what you should be visiting uh, and information about it and stuff you should know. And so I wanted to tell you a couple things uh, that you might not know. One thing Scooter said is, was there someone called Dr. Mandible in the episode? And I said, Scooter, I'll look it up for you. I have no idea. And uh, I said, let's see, Dr. Mandible. I said, Scooter, I'm looking while I'm talking because I, I like, I, I don't know. Is there a Dr. Mandible? There probably is a Dr. Mandible. Certainly nice to say. And I know there's other characters that Scooter's aware of. Uh, oh, the frog lady, She, she she's, uh, that's uh, her official name. And I guess one of the things Scooter was mixed up about, let me just tell you, there's Galactic Basic, which is a basic, uh, she does, that's what she didn't speak. Uh, So, like, that was one of them, and then they didn't speak any other languages. But Galactic Basic was the the main thing uh, that you wanted to know, and that you did, like, uh, you know, that, that, uh, you know what I mean? That you would have wanted to know that, that's how you'd communicate. Oh, that, I'm sorry. I got mixed up there. But yeah, I'm looking for other oh, minor characters. Did you, did you know I'm not even a minor character? Uh, I, they Like Scooter says, oh boy, am I a character. I'm looking up this Dr. Mandible. I guess Dr. Mandible did not. Wikipedia, Scooter said, well, Scooter told me, I don't know. I don't see anything about Dr. Mandible. Sorry, Scooter. He's rolling his eyes. And now Scooter's telling me that it was just a droid, that uh, it was Dr. Mandible was just a joke, he thinks, that Amy Sedaris had. But there weren't a lot of other characters in this episode. Let's see, who else do we need to know? Trapper Wolf, actually, is, uh, I think, uh, one of the directors and leaders behind the scenes of the show. 
So Trapper Wolf, Jib Dodger, and Sash Ketter are the trio of uh, New Republic X-Wing Starfighter pilots. And they looked up stuff in Chapter 6 of the first season. And they showed up and uh, dealt with uh, a couple of the not-so-nice guys in that season. And then Trapper Wolf and Carson Teaver in this episode... uh, as a kind of like a, 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 a California Highway Patrol. And I think all of them are played by directors of episodes. Uh, but a Trapper Wolf was the one we were kind of looking at there. So that's another thing for Scooter to know, you know, to tell you about. So that, I don't know. Uh, I guess that's a little bit to tell you about that episode. Now let's go on to another episode. Oh, Moss Eisley. We covered that last time, right? Moss Eisley Spaceport. Now the next episode was called The Heiress. And uh, this probably does have, because you have uh, Bo-Katan. And uh, that is like uh, something new that you probably want to know about. What else should I fill you in? And Casca Reeves. And Axe Woves or something. I don't know the other character's name. Imperial Remnants, uh, that's uh, like in Mandalore, comes up. And then the Dark Saber. So those are the kind of things I'll talk about. Bo-Katan. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce Bo-Katan's last name. K-R-Y-Z-E. Crazy. 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 One time I had too much at, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not allowed in any cantinas. Uh, first off, because I want to bring, I say, I'm not going to leave Dewey alone, my Dewback. Uh, oh, I tried to ro- ride Dewey. The first time I didn't even realize Dewey couldn't go in. Then also I rode Dewey, my Dewback, in to the uh, cantina, Moss Eisley, the famous one. I did bump my head quite a few times, not just on the entrance, but when Dewey was kind of, uh, unhappy with our reception also do we get caught in the door for some time so that they were even more upset with that uh also do his tail so but one time i had i i said i had a like that was the time people were throwing their drinks at me because they were so upset because they couldn't leave it was a day of some big event i don't know and um, I opened my mouth, though, because I was talking. Why are you throwing? And their drinks were going in my mouth. I've never had a dr- one of these drinks before. And I felt crazy, crazy. That's what made me think of that. Oh, but Bo-Katan is a family, like, uh, a, a big, she's on the Mandalorian group known as the Big Farm Watch during the Clone Wars. Uh, they dealt with Darth Maul, the Night Owls. Uh, Maul got driven off of Mandalore, uh, and Bo-Katan was a region of Mandalore. But she refused to follow Emperor Palpatine, and Clan Saxon got placed in power. She then sided with Clan Wren during the Mandalorian Civil War. Uh, believing she had lost that right, she accepted the dark r- r- saber to lead her people once more. Uh, then she replied, reprised her role in the second season. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's a little bit about Bo-Katan. Bo- Bo- uh, Casca Reeves. Uh, 
Oh, boy, this might be hard to find. I'm sorry about this, uh, but uh, a lot of scrolling. Casca Reeves and, well, we'll skip it because, like, uh, and Axe Wolves work with Bo-Katan. So they're part of the Children of the Watch? Maybe? Oh, no, that's what the Mandalorian was. What about uh, Imperial Remnants is a term I've never heard of before. So the most successful, this, this is after the, the most successful remnants of the Empire reform is the First Order. This is after this, though. There's still the remnants in the future. In a galaxy long, long ago and far away, but in the future there. It's kind of, so even though I'm acting and this is fiction, or Scooter tells me that, uh, see, you mean I'm in a dream? What? And he says, it's really hard for me to process things when I'm in the future and the past, on and off. And far, far away. That's when I really start to miss Dewey, my do back, uh, is when I'm far, far away. Okay, where was I? So, I don't know. That was, I think that was all I needed right there. Uh, now, Darksaber, that's the last thing we'll talk about tonight because it's like a dream, it's dreamy. It is a unique lightsaber that has a distinct black blade with a white halo was in the Clone Wars and Rebels. It was a, it's an ancient lightsaber created by the first Mandalorian to become a Jedi. Whoa, boy, there was Mandalorian Jedi. I had no idea. It was a symbol of Mandalorian authority, and it appears in the hands of Moff Gideon. Uh, so that's, I mean, but it's, it's a little different. I mean, I guess it's a, like, a, is it a flat-bladed lightsaber? I don't know a lot about lightsabers. So that's it. I'm Dewey the Dewback uh, saying good night. Thanks for joining me.